Well, this song, uh, Blessed Be Your Name, the reason why, uh, as we start off uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, looking at this song, is because uh, really this song is Matt Redman, uh, he, a popular songwriter from uh, the UK, uh, he writes this song, which is really based off of the book of Job. If you know the book of Job, is this Job is, is there and he goes through some huge pain and suffering and where he loses everything except for his life and his wife, and that's it. He loses all his kids. He loses all his possessions. He loses even his health. And his wife and his three friends that come and try to uh, comfort him during this time cry out and say, no, curse God. Curse God! Get mad! Get angry at God! And he says these, these words that Matt Redman and his wife uh, Beth, they, they pen. But it's this understanding that no matter what life circumstances we are, that we're supposed to praise God's name. And that's what the blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful when things are, are going good. When your streams of abundance flow, I'm going to praise your name. Next uh, part, blessed be your name when I'm found in that desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. And again, the, the symbolism comes from the Old Testament of desert, of wilderness, of the wilderness wanderings, of, of just where things maybe aren't as abundant. And sometimes we feel that nowadays with the current economy. Things just, you go to the store and you're reminded every day, things that used to cost a dollar now cause you go to the Dollar Tree. What used to cost a dollar now cost a dollar twenty-five, And all of a sudden now you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is crazy because of inflation. But when the, but we choose an attitude of, of praising God. And then, the, of course, the, what they call every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, and then the chorus, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Uh, then the, the, the next verse, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when this world is all as it could be. In other words, everything, life is going good, everything's perfect. I'm going to praise your name. But when things aren't going perfect, guess what I'm still going to do? I'm going to praise your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, you know, blessed be your name. And then you get down to uh, the, and this is what Job says. Why do I get mad at God? He gives and he takes it away. And so instead of getting mad and angry and shaking my fist at God and saying, how dare you God do this to me? Instead, I'm reminded of God's sovereignty. I'm reminded that God is king. God is overall. God is as a follower of Jesus, and that's what we're going to look at throughout these next several weeks. As a follower of Jesus, when you say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, you be, God becomes king of your life. And you surrender everything that you are to Him. And you say, Lord Jesus... In the blessings, I'm going to praise you. When life is beating me up, I'm going to praise you. That's what James tells us our attitude should be. Lord, you're sovereign. You know what I need in my life. Your promises are still true. But I'm going to follow you above all else. And in a real sense, as we start thinking about
this great gift of salvation. And that's, we are starting this series, we uh, started a couple weeks ago, about the salvation series. And we, we started by asking this, this question of, you know, what happened, how does a person become a follower of Jesus? And we looked at two passages of, in Acts chapter 2 and in Romans chapter 10 where it, it answers that question. And when you combine those two kind of as a review, this is what it says. Repent. Turn away from our sin and turn to God. And that's literally what the word repent means. That is that turning part. You come to God and you, and you admit, and that's another term that the Scripture uses, or confess. We admit that we're sinners and we repent. We're saying, God, this is how I live my life and I'm choosing not to live my life anymore in that direction because I'm going to publicly declare that now I'm going to follow your plan and your way for my life. Peter in Acts chapter 2 says, be baptized. That was that public confession. That baptism is, is I am choosing to leave my past behind, my sinful life behind, and I'm choosing to follow Christ now. Paul, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, my Lord, my Master, my King. And every moment of every single day, as long as I have breath in these lungs, is to live for my King. That's what we're signing up for. We're not just signing up so that we get this fire insurance so we don't have to face the hell. When we become a follower of Jesus, that's what we're becoming. That Jesus is our King. That I am following Him. And Him alone now. That I've laid my sinful life down. And I'm following Jesus. And that we believe. And that understanding belief is that we're betting our, our entire lives upon it. It's affecting every moment of our life. I believe that Jesus is not dead, but that Jesus rose again that he's alive to this day that he is there seated at the right hand of god the father waiting for god the father to turn to him and say now's the time now's the time go get my children but it affects every ounce of our lives that belief and so now the question that we're going to ask over these really over these next several weeks is what happens when a person comes and, and chooses to follow Jesus like that? What happens in their life? And there's going to, and we're going to, and you're going to see over the next three three weeks. This is going to be what happens when a person comes to follow Jesus. Today is part one. What happens uh, next week? What happens when a person comes to follow Jesus? Part two. What happens when a person comes to follow Jesus? Part three. Because there's these images that Scripture gives us and words that Scripture gives us to describe what happens when a person comes to know Jesus and follows Jesus. And if you grew up in the church, you know these words. You're familiar with these words. But you may have not actually stopped and asked, what does that word mean and what does it look like in my life? And so as we go through these passages of Scripture, and we'll start off in 2 Corinthians chapter 
5 today and look at, and we'll read that here in a few moments. But as we start off in this, is again a well familiar passage that uses some well familiar terms, that church terms that we say. But if you know Jesus as your Savior and you follow Jesus, then understand this this is who you are. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me as I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17 until the end of the chapter. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is writing this letter. Actually, this is the fourth letter that he has written to the church in Corinth. The reason why we can see that this is the fourth letter is because, even though we call it the second Corinthians, is because when you read 1 Corinthians, you realize that's the second letter he wrote. Then there's a letter in between. Uh, this our uh, first and second Corinthians, the third letter, and this is the second letter because he makes reference to that third letter. The church in Corinth was uh, were people that came out of paganism, and they really wrestled with the the city of Corinth was was pagan, was wicked. And again, you can uh, Google the city of Corinth, and you can read some of the things that 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 they were like, and just some of the 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 craziness that happened. It makes our society. You know, sometimes our society, we look at our society, and we're thinking, man, it's becoming more and more godless every single day. Well, the church in Corinth dealt with even more insanity and even more openness of sin like crazy. And so they came out of this pagan lifestyle and they started wrestling with That's what 1 Corinthians is all about. Okay, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in, in these situations that we're dealing with? And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians, of course, a question with some of the questions that they deal with. But as time goes on, these false teachers come to Corinth and they begin to question Paul's authority. And they begin to tell the church in Corinth, listen, don't listen to this guy named Paul. Don't listen to his friends like Timothy and, and Silas and, and, and Titus. Don't listen to them. Paul's not really an apostle of, of God. Listen to us. We're these super apostles. That's what they kind of termed themselves. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians as a way to defend his apostleship to, to the church and saying, listen, let me explain to you who I am. 
You know that I came to you and I shared the gospel with you. I didn't put a burden on you. I didn't, I, I, yes, I may not look as handsome as this guy because that was one of the things that they were saying is, listen, if Paul really was an apostle, would he be as ugly as he really is? I mean, we don't really know what Paul looks like. But that was one of the arguments of it because we think that he, had an, he, he wasn't good looking because he had an eye problem and stuff like that. We don't know what it was. But then if he gets beat up as many times as Paul is, he probably was fairly disfigured. And so Paul writes this and, and is saying, let me explain to you what we're trying to do here. We're trying to share the gospel of Jesus with you. We didn't come with power and authority. We didn't come with, with fine arguments. We came with the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you responded. And in fact, this is who you are. And that's where the argument here that Paul is citing here in verse 17. He's saying, therefore, because of this gift of salvation that God has given to you, this is who you are. And I've put more passages up here over these next several weeks. You'll see that. So that as we walk through these passages, you can kind of see where the are Paul's argument and the other passages that we'll look at in the weeks ahead, the argument. But he says, therefore, if anybody is in Christ... Whenever you read Paul's letters, it doesn't matter what letter you read. It doesn't matter if you read 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians or Romans or, or Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. It doesn't matter. Paul uses this phrase over and over again. In Christ. In fact, if you're following along in your outline here, here's in Christ equals a follower of Jesus. That's Paul's term. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are in Christ. And it doesn't matter. That's it, yes, your average believer. And again, sometimes in our culture, we have these like super Christians, like, like missionaries or super Christians, like pastors. And then we have the ordinary Christians, like, like not scripturally speaking, there's no second, there's no division like that. The average believer is in Christ. And what Paul means by that is this that the person, a follower of Jesus, is in Christ, is in a close association with Christ, is under the influence of Christ, is under the control of Christ. You realize that? When you choose to put, when a person chooses to put their faith and trust in Jesus, you become that under the control of Christ now. He's your king, and you're his servant. You come in under the influence of Christ. That's why in Ephesians, when Paul is talking about this, this, this uh, uh, drunkenness, he says, don't be drunk with wine. No, don't get under the influence. Don't allow wine or alcohol to influence you and take control of you. Instead, be what? Be drunk. Literally, that's what the Greek says. Same word. Be drunk with what? The Holy Spirit. Allow God's Spirit to control you. That's that in Christ mentality. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ. And this is what happens, Paul says. NIV I read, If therefore as anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. 
I do not like that translation, so here's my own translation. Therefore, if anyone is in, is in Christ, a new creation, that new creation refers to that person in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus is a new creation. And that's what Paul goes on in here says, the old has done what? The old has disappeared. It's gone. And aren't we glad of that? And some of us, we have these testimonies, these incredible testimonies of saying, this is how I was. And then I met Christ. And this is how I am today. I do not have that testimony in the sense because I came to know Christ at a very young age, at the age of five. But at the same time, when I came to know Christ at the age of five as that young boy sitting there at a vacation Bible school that I went forward and, and my mom was leading the vacation Bible school and you wonder why I put so much emphasis on vacation Bible school because of my time when I went to vacation Bible school, God changed my life. Because at the age of five, I heard the gospel of Jesus. I understood the gospel of Jesus. And, and I went down, and then the adults, my mom was one of, one of them that then explained to me, this is the gospel of Jesus, and this is what you're choosing to follow, who Jesus, who Jesus is, and it changes your life. It wasn't a night and day thing like people experience. But at the same time, at the age of five, there should have been that change, that difference. And that's what Paul's saying here. If you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. Your old, sinful lifestyle has come to an end, has disappeared. That person has become new. There's a transformation that takes place. When a person chooses to follow Jesus. In fact, there's a, a popular movie, and if you like these, uh, fantastic. Uh, the Transformers. They were toys when, when I was kids, and, uh, and you would take this, this vehicle, and this is a, the picture here is of Optimus Prime, if you want to know. Uh, it takes this vehicle, he turns into a semi-truck, and you can see that. It converts from a robot to a truck, or a truck to a robot, in six easy steps. Now, have you ever done this, and your kids have it, or your grandkids have it? It's not as easy as they make it out, and it's not as six steps as they make it out. But it goes from this semi-truck to, to this powerful uh, uh, robot uh, taking over the world mentality. And if you watch the movies, I didn't watch the movies, but if you watch the movies, you can see that. And in a real sense, that's what happens when a person comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior follows Jesus, there's a transformation that takes place. But the problem with that illustration is that they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, but not when it comes to Jesus. This is a better illustration. A caterpillar, monarch butterfly. Starts off as what? A caterpillar. Then it gets into its cocoon. Goes through a the metamorphosis process comes out as what? 
as a monarch butterfly. And guess what? That monarch butterfly will not ever, ever turn back into that caterpillar again. That's the image of what Paul is saying here. When you are in Christ, when you have chosen to put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you have become a follower of Jesus, when that moment that you've made that decision, your old sinful lifestyle is gone, is buried, is dead, has disappeared, and you are this new creation in Christ. Paul continues. Verse 18, All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself. So Paul says the first one is that we're a new creation. The second word he uses is this understanding of reconciliation. And again, we use these terms and we understand these terms uh, even when we have these, these strains of relationship with people and, and then all of a sudden they, these relationships come back together and say, oh, we were reconciled with this person. That's exactly the image here that Paul is saying here. God reconciles us to Himself. What does that mean? It means that we exchange a hostility with a friendly relationship with God. Sometimes we don't understand this. We don't comprehend, especially us that grow up in the church. Is that when a person, before a person puts their faith and trust and chooses to follow Jesus, they are enemies of God. They, there is a hostility. They are separated from God. And then when they put their faith and trust in Jesus and become in Christ, that they move from the enemy to that friend. And that relationship, that broken relationship is healed and restored. That's why we can sing songs like, I am a friend of God. That's why Paul can go on and say, you know, because of what Jesus has done in our life, we can cry out to our Heavenly Father and call Him Father. And call Him Abba Father. Abba was the word that the, the Jewish kids would describe to their, their dad, meaning Daddy. It's because of this relationship being restored that we're reconciled. God has reconciled us to himself. And it's done through how? Through Christ. This is only done through Christ. We can't earn this. We can't be good enough. We can't give enough. We can't earn this relationship this, where this reconciliation takes place. Why? Because we're still before before this before Christ, and you try to earn your salvation, earn that. You're still enemies. You're still at war with God. It is only through Christ and through what Christ has done on the cross and His death and resurrection. It's only through Christ that this broken relationship can be restored. We can't do it on our own. That's one of the main things that I have that I have against the Roman Catholic Church. Because they say that as long as you do X, Y, and Z, 
You can be in good standing with the church, which means you can go and be eventually, after you die, you will go into heaven. According to Scripture, you can't do that. Because you're still a dirty, rotten sinner without Christ. It's only through Christ. Only through Christ. That's why all the other world religions are are totally false. Because it's all about how can I be good enough to to appease God? There's my bad things and there's my good things. And as long as the scale, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, well, God has to let me into heaven because, because I'm an okay person. No, you're not. You're still an enemy of God. It's only through Christ that you can be a friend of God. That's what Paul says here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And this is Paul explaining. You know, this is what happens. You know, why we do what we do. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. You understand that even though Paul is saying this is what Paul, Silas, Timothy, this is what God has called us to do. This is what we are as believers. We are Christ's ambassadors. Christ sends us to our non-believer friends and we are making this appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God and that's what we should be announcing to the world. Be reconciled to God through Christ. That's the Gospel of Jesus in a nutshell. So I just realized that uh, I skipped a point there for all those OCC, OCD people. God no longer considers our sin against us. There we go. It's the problem sometimes with outlines is you point C there. God no longer considers our sin against us. That was back in uh, verse uh, 19. That reconciliation. But verse... 20, God made him who had no sin. Ultimately referring to, of course, Jesus. God made Jesus who had no sin, what? To be sin for us. You know, sometimes we, we, especially growing up in the church, and, and, and I know I can get this way sometimes, where, where it's like, okay, Christmas is right around the corner, and be like, oh man, uh, Christmas is here, and, and you got to come up with something new and fancy to, to, to kind of wow people about Christmas, especially as, as a pastor. You, know, you can't say, pull out the same sermon every single year uh, mentality. And then you get to Easter, and you're thinking, oh man, we, we get so accustomed to what, what Jesus has done for us on, on, the, on Good Friday and Easter, but do you realize the severity or what happened on that good friday and what to happen on that easter jesus who was sinless never sinned once the bible tells us that in hebrews never sinned once never talked back to his mom never stole whatever Jewish people stole from the cookie jars, was a perfect, obedient son. Was a perfect, obedient 
person to His heavenly Father. Went to that cross and became sin for us. Jesus became sin for us. I mean, let's think about that for a moment. And you think about the the events that happened on the cross. You know, why does, and we looked at this in the Gospel of Luke, why does all of a sudden darkness covers the whole earth? Why does Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the weight of the sin of the world is being applied to Jesus. Why did Jesus have to die upon the cross? Why couldn't Jesus just get stoned to death? Why didn't Jesus just like, like just die of natural causes? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because it was a criminal death. Because the sin of the world was being placed on him. And he became sin for us. He paid the penalty of my sin, of your sin. But the good news is this, as Paul goes on to the last part there. So that, what's the result of all this? That we might become the righteousness of God. When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus and chooses to follow Jesus, they become righteous. And again, that 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 again is kind of a churchy term that we use or a biblical term that we use. And what does that mean? It means that we meet God's standard of perfection. We meet God's standard of perfection. Romans three twenty three. It says, you know, for all have sinned and all fall short of what? Of God's glorious standard. Every single person in this world, and that's what Paul's argument in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. Every single person, doesn't matter if you're, you're, you're a Gentile, doesn't matter if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter if you've never heard the name of Jesus before, it doesn't matter. Every single person in this world is a sinner and has fallen short of God's glorious standard of perfection. Do you realize that? That only perfect people can go to heaven and be in God's presence. Only perfect people. And what happens on that cross is Jesus becomes sin for us. And so as Jesus dies and the, and the weight of our sin, the consequences of our sins is placed on Him. And He rises again as we put our faith and trust in Him and we become followers of Him. He, his righteousness, His perfection is applied to us. And we finally become, according to God's standard, perfection. Perfect before Him. When God the Father looks at you, He sees the blood of Jesus being applied to your life. And He sees you as perfect. Perfect. The new creation. Your old sinful life is gone. You're reconciled. You are a friend of God. You are connected with God. That relationship that was broken is now being restored. has been restored. We can pray the way Jesus commanded us to and say, Our Father, our Heavenly Father, 
We can go to Him not with fear and trembling because of, that's what we are in the Old Testament. It was totally, the Old Testament is totally different. The Jewish people, they, they saw God as separate because He was holy. They, they saw God as, as, as the, we, we are so fearful of, of who He is. But if we didn't come in the right heart and with the right attitude and we didn't follow X, Y, and Z, then, then, then we could die from that. New Testament, we can come boldly approach the throne of grace, Hebrews. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus being applied to our lives. We don't have this separation anymore. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. We are this new creation in Christ. We are righteous. We finally meet God's standard for perfection because of what Jesus has done. You see, as we stand before a holy and perfect God, yes, God is loving. Yes, God is compassionate. Slow to anger. Yes, God, that's God's character. But over all of that is this, that God is a holy and perfect God. When you read the Old Testament, you have to keep that thought number one in mind. God is a holy and perfect God and can have nothing to do with sin. He will judge sin. He is a holy and perfect God. And as we stand before this holy and perfect God, our only hope to be saved from the penalty of our sins. When we talk about being saved, what are we saved from? We're saved from the penalty of our sins. We're saved from the hells of fire. The fire of hell. Sorry, I switched that backwards. Fire of hell. The lake of fire from the penalty of my sin from your sin. And the only hope that we have is in Christ alone. That's it. We cannot be good enough. We can't be good enough. We can't pay the penalty of our own sin. And according to Scripture... Thanks to Adam and Eve, every single person that, that is born into this world is born a sinner, a rotten sinner. Even newborn babies. Yes, they're innocent, but they inherit what Adam and Eve did. They're sinners. And they need, that's why everybody needs Jesus. That's why as, they grow, as kids grow up, you don't have to teach them how to misbehave. All you got to do is spend a few time with your kids or grandkids and realize they misbehave in and of themselves because that's the nature of who they are. That's the nature of who we are. It's not their environment that teaches them bad behavior. It's their nature. And the only way to deal with that nature, according to to what the gospel of Jesus says is to give them a new nature, to give them a new creation, to make them new again. If you know Jesus and you have become that follower of Jesus, then you are in Christ. You are a new creation. Your old sinful lifestyle is buried, is gone. Jesus is God has taken that magic eraser and wiped it clean. You are reconciled to Him. 
You are in that right relationship with Him. You are righteous. You have met His perfect standard. All this has done because of what Jesus has done for us. My encouragement to you, again, a lot of this is maybe things things that, that you have heard all your life or and, and, and maybe explained a little bit differently. Hopefully you have some light bulbs come on as we go, th- we go through these terms. But my encouragement to you is this. During this week, every single day, every single day this week, pull out your Bibles and read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17-21. through 21. And, re- and tell yourself this. This is who I am in Christ. I am a new creation. I am reconciled to God and I can call Him my Father. I can call Him my Heavenly Father. I am righteous. I meet God's standard. I have become that righteousness of God. And memorize these verses to to get them from not just head knowledge, but get them down into your heart so that you can see. Because what happens as we go through this, we'll eventually get to this, uh, especially probably in December as we talk about, you know, what happens as as we live a life that is pleasing unto God. What happens when the believer in Jesus sins? What, What happens when that happens? And to get these into our hearts and our minds so that we understand this is our identity. This is who we are. So that these truths of God's Word start to affect our thinking and how we live our daily lives. That we know beyond a shadow of doubt, this is who I am in Christ. As the praise team comes and we're going to sing our our final song, which is that just a reminder of our only hope is in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, again, cornerstones were, were foundational when you're building a house. If you didn't place the cornerstone right, and the cornerstone wasn't perfect and level, the rest of the house was going to be wonky. This cornerstone, this solid ground, I mean, I can base my life upon this solid ground. It's not going to move. Firm through the fiercest, sorry, I skipped one. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Why did the man, the wise builder that Jesus' parable, why did... When the storms came, and storms are going to come. That's just part of life. Storms will come. But how did he, his house be able to stand because he had that firm foundation? When storms come, how are we able to stand? How are we able to, when, and trust me, as a pastor, I get these phone calls all the time of, hey, this is what the doctor said. How are we able to stand during that time? It's only because of Christ. Because we built our lives upon this firm foundation that Jesus is our hope. That Jesus is our Savior. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. Well, He's my comforter. 
He's my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. The, the actual third verse is be the second verse we sing. That there in the ground His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Sorry, by darkness slain. I forget that. The lyrics on the back are different. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, He rose again. Now, as he stands in victory, what happens to sin? Sin's curse has lost its grip on me because I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm righteous. I'm reconciled. I no longer have to live that old sinful lifestyle because the Holy Spirit empowers me to live for Christ. Sin's curse is lost, is grip on me. For I am His and He is mine because I've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. Again, another phrase that Paul talks about. You are not your own. You've been bought. You've been bought with the blood of Christ. In the fourth verse, no guilt in life, no fear in death. Because this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny again. When we come to know Jesus, when we become a follower of Jesus, when we come in Christ, we surrender. He's my king. He's my master. He commands my destiny. No power of hell. No scheme of man. When Paul's talking about that, he's talking about salvation. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me out of his hand. Assurance of salvation. Till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ. I'll stand. Is that your prayer? Again, allow these truths of who you are in Christ to get from your brain down into your very soul. And so you remind yourself each and every day, I am a new creation in Christ. I've been reconciled with my Heavenly Father. I am declared righteous all through Christ. That's my hope in Christ and in Christ alone.